Okay, why don't you take your Bibles and join us in 1 John chapter 4. We are almost almost done with 1 John. Our plan is to finish 1 John by the end of the year. I'm not going to put stress on that. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But hopefully that that's going to work out nice and clean for us to finish the last Sunday of December with the last part of 1 John chapter 5. But this morning, we find ourselves in 1 John 4, verses 7 to 21. And the title of our lesson is going to be, Love Came Down. If you've been with us for this series of 1 John, we've titled this series, Loved to Love. And so I don't know if there's any more fitting sermon than what we're going to speak on this, day, this very day, which is Love Came Down. We're also coming from the past sermon two weeks ago. My sister spoke last week about her ministry to Berlin, Germany. We uh, voted to support her, which is a really good thing. Two weeks ago, we spoke on being counterfeits and how it is... Uh, how do we know that we're an authentic Christian? And so John is coming from that talk, and he's going to lead into this one this very morning. But I have a question for you once again. What is the best Christmas present you ever received? Think about it. Go, pat, go back to the early parts of your life and, and think leading up to right now. What are the best Christmas presents you ever received? I'm going to share with you a couple of mine. Actually, I have categories of mine. The first one I'm going to start with is the most fun Christmas present. Um, for a long time, I was a video game player as a young boy, and so I remember getting Super Mario Brothers for Nintendo, and I was thrilled. It's exactly what I was asking Santa, which was AKA Dad, all year long. Please get me Super Mario Brothers. A few years later, I advanced my interest to John Madden football for whatever system we had at the moment, and I asked Dad almost every year, Dad, you got to hook me up with Madden football. Uh, that was one of the most fun gifts, but probably even better than those two is, um, you guys have ever seen the movie The Christmas Story with Ralphie? <laughs> one year, my brother and I really wanted BB guns, really, really wanted BB guns, and it was like one of those gifts, you don't think you're going to get it, but you throw it out there just in case. <laughs> so we asked my parents, could you get us BB guns, you know, we'll be safe with them, we won't shoot our eye outs, but um, not expecting the gifts, but... It was one of those Christmases that they did all they could to hide the fact that we were getting BB guns, and we couldn't see the present, the long present with the gun shape in it, so we thought we weren't getting it, and all the presents were open by that point, but then my parents said, we have one more gift for you guys, and they pulled them out from wherever you guys had them, some closet, and it was gun-shaped, and I got really excited going, oh yeah, here we go. And so Trav and I started to rip open these, these, these presents, thinking maybe, possibly, and as soon as I opened the gun, I honestly thought it was a toy gun, like one of the ones that just make noise, and it was like, oh. And then all of a sudden, I heard the rattle of the BBs, and I got really excited. And it was a BB gun. Trav and I got BB guns that year, and I think it was the same, same thing as Chris's story. We probably shot our eye out or shot... I, actually, I think I shot my brother in the head. I'm not sure you guys ever knew that. But uh, I don't think it was on purpose, but the Lord will sort that out. Shot my brother in the head with a BB gun. Worse than an eye, probably. Anyways, that was most fun gift. And that, there's most thoughtful gift. One year, my sister, this is, this is probably just not very many years ago, my sister got us what was called a ministry kit. We were doing campus ministry in Michigan, and Christy learned by asking what types of things would be useful for us all throughout the year. I wasn't even sure it was close to Christmas. And Christy was making notes along the way of what would be helpful. And so by the time Christmas came, she unleashed this like ministry kit that she had been working on for months, and it was wonderful because it really did help us in so many aspects. So that was one of the most thoughtful gifts. Other thoughtful gifts are my wife usually gets me, finds out what people I'm reading and what guys, commentaries, study Bibles I'm looking into, and then she'll, uh, she'll make a note of that and make sure those are the ones I get. So those are very thoughtful gifts. One of the funniest gifts I ever got was also from my sister. It was a photo book of some of my most awkward pictures of all time. And I know what you're thinking right now. You will never see this book. It's not going to happen. Anyways, that was a really funny book. Christy took a lot of thought into that one and then made me laugh. I like to laugh. So that was one of my funniest gifts of all time. Then there was a most shocking gift I ever got. I've shared this with you before, but Janine and I once got a really big sum of money one year for our ministry because we were under-supported missionaries. We were trying to make ends meet, and uh, it was an anonymous giver. They just decided to bless us with a really big gift, and we were able to pay for our apartment and our ministry and everything that went along with that, and that was the most shocking gift I ever received. And then most practical, 
most practical gift is probably my Charles Spurgeon coffee mug. It says, Charles Spurgeon is my homeboy on it. <laughs> Janine got me, for the, got me that like 10 years ago, and I use it every day of my life. I mean, it doesn't get more practical than that, right? And then, of course, my beloved Blackberry. That's on, on, on the fritz, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, those are probably my most practical gifts I'd ever got. But what was your best Christmas gift, your favorite Christmas gift? Maybe you have categories like I do. We're going to talk about today, of course, the best Christmas present that was ever given, ever received. And we're calling it Love Came Down. And I want you to join me now in 1 John chapter 4 as I read verses 7 to 21. Let me get there, in fact. So follow along as I read if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, they're right here on the ends of the pews or there's some out in there in the lobby. This is what John says. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might have life through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. May the Lord bless the teaching of his word this morning. We have a few goals as we're going to make our way through this passage today. Hopefully get to everything. These are our five goals. Number one is to be reminded of how important love is and what true love looks like. We're going to look at what true love actually is. But also to be reminded that love came down to save us and heal us eternally. Because that was the entire point. That's goal number one. Goal number two is to give God all the glory for true love and even for our own spiritual life. God will deserve all the glory, and we're going to seek to give that to him today. Number three, John is going to give us four proofs. Proofs John gives us to validate the claim that we actually belong to God. He's been doing this all through 1 John. He's going to give us four more this very morning. Goal number four is to understand the proper fear of God and to use that fear to increase in love and obedience towards God. And then our last goal today is, since love has come down, to be motivated to walk in that same love that Jesus showed us. And you can find that in the text. It's, it's everywhere. So let's start with this. As soon as we find out about God, as soon as we find out what God is and what he's like, we're called to be like God. It's all over scripture. Every time you find out what God is like, there's almost right behind it a call to be like him. And that's all over the book of 1 John. Why? Why is that the way? Why is that the case here in Scripture? Why is John calling us to be like God after he describes what God is like? And the answer is very, very simple and yet incredibly profound. We were created for God. For God. We exist for God and not the other way around. And I hope you know that. God is not our butler. We exist for God. God's purposes and God's will. Our entire existence is for God's pleasure will, and glory. Do you know that today? Do you know that you exist, you breathe, you live this very moment for God's ultimate will and glory? Now, sin, unfortunately, ruined that relationship with God because God is light. We learned that in 1 John chapter 1, and he has absolutely no fellowship with darkness whatsoever. He can't. So as soon as sin came into the scene, we had to be cast from God because that's how holy God is. But, of course, we know that's not the end of the story. Otherwise, we wouldn't be speaking on what we're speaking on today. 
because love came down. And love has a name. And his name is Jesus. Love came down and his name is Jesus. And since love came down, we have been called back into a covenant relationship with God. As well as, remember, called to walk in love ourselves. Because that's the point. Jesus is the best Christmas present ever. In fact, he's the first and invented the Christmas present. But John is here to tell us, listen, the the fact, the evidence of our divine DNA is that you and I walk in love. Because without walking in love, we can't know that we're of God. In fact, John would say we're not of God if we're not walking in love. We need to question that if we're not walking in love. And therefore, if we're not walking in love, it's very probable we still belong to the worst father and master imaginable, the devil. And that has to be rectified. And that's why John is speaking about these things. Because he doesn't want us depressed. He doesn't want us, you know, down in the dumps. He wants us to know that we can belong to God this very day. Because love is so important for our very existence, isn't it? Our very spiritual life, but also our very physical life. If we don't have God's love, none of us are alive this very day. But it's also proof that we belong to God, and we need that proof. I need that proof, and I know you do as well. But without God's love, all there is is darkness. Darkness, wrath, and a godless eternity without God's love. But because of God's love, love came down and light came into the scene. So you and I do not have to have despair upon despair which is what we would have if we didn't have God's love. So I hope you understand and agree with me today that love is crucial. John is making that very clear through the entire book of 1 John. Love is crucial. God's love for us and our love towards God and towards other people. So if we can agree on this, the only question remaining for us is what is love? What does love look like? If you had to define love, what would be your definition? I looked the word love up in the dictionary. And the world has their own definition of love. Because the world agrees that love is important. They do. Uh, Love is all over this world. We hear about love all the time. We have love songs. right? We have love stories, love notes. Even something called a love language. Love is all over this world. Um, So the world definitely agrees that love is important. However, the world has their definition of love and God has his. And we're going to look at the, I want to look at right now the world's definition of love and contrast that with God's definition of love. This is what I found when I looked up the word love in the dictionary. It says an intense feeling of deep affection, romantic or sexual attraction to someone. That's the world's definition of love. An intense feeling of deep affection or romantic or sexual attraction towards someone. You guys ever heard the old song? I think there were... Help me out with a band here, if you guys have heard this. We've lost that love and feeling. <laughs> Righteous Brothers? Something like that? You've lost that love and feeling, right? That makes sense because that's how the world defined love. Love is up, love is down, it's a roller coaster. I love you today, I don't, I don't, don't love you today. And that probably explains why the divorce rates are what they are. Because love come, comes and goes then. You know, I feel like I love you today and I want to vow my love to you. And oh, life is hard now, and my my love is gone. I've lost that love and feeling. And then the second definition is even more confusing. It says, a person or thing that one loves. Can you tell the world is very confused on what love is? Because all that definition tells us is that it goes right back to the deep feeling, the intense feeling. They don't even know. But here's some examples of how the world would use love, okay? I love ice cream. Anyone? (laughs) Maybe not now. I love summertime. I hear that. I actually don't love summertime. I love wintertime. I love this movie series. I love that band. I love this sitcom. I love Christmas. I love the way this person makes me feel. Even, I love how God loves me. Because loving God's love for me is different than me loving God. And we're going to learn that here in a minute. But it's plain to see that the world is very confused on love. They think it's a deep feeling only. And we're going to find that the the love God has is not void of feelings. But it's much deeper than just a feeling. But what if God's love was the world's definition of love? 
What if God's love was that? Just a deep feeling of affection, an attachment. What if that's all God had for us, was feelings, emotions, and affections only? Then love would never have come down. God would have said things like this, I feel for you. I like you. I wish you well. I even love you. But I'm not sending my son to earth for you. Thankfully, 1 John 4, 9 is in the Bible. Direct your attention to this once again. In this, the love of God was made manifest, clear or obvious among us. Listen to God's definition of love. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And do you know what we just celebrated about Jesus? You know what it cost Jesus to come to this earth? His blood and his body. Rejection. Mocking, beatings, blaspheming his name. When God loves, it's not just a deep feeling, is it? It's sacrifice. Deep, profound sacrifice. So therefore, love is not just a deep feeling. It's not void of that. God feels, he has compassion and tenderness. But it's not a romantic or sexual attachment for us. Love is most profoundly humble and sacrificial. Here's my definition of love based on that. It's doing whatever it takes to help somebody in need. Love is doing whatever it takes to help somebody in need. And we know this love because we breathe this love in every single day of our lives. Take a breath right now, a big deep breath. You're breathing in the love of God. Because we have life, we have spiritual life, we have hope, we have constant, faithful, steadfast love because God grants it to us. And he could only do that because Jesus came to this earth. So Jesus had a role. Jesus was God's love to this earth. You could say God invented love, or maybe the scripture would say God begot love. Because I believe love has a name. I believe his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus' entire role was to love this earth and save this world by coming to the earth and yielding up his life for the sin of God's people. Now that is love. That is the love we need to focus our attention on today because that love is deep and profound and rich and helpful. And it's not a feeling. It's not just a feeling. I think we could stop right there and you would have everything you would need to live properly in the Christian life. If you understand God's love through Jesus Christ and how profound that love is and how costly that love is, it'll transform your life and your soul. Because John said himself in 1 John 3.18, Let us not love in word or talk only, but in deed and in truth. And do you know where John got that understanding? He got it from the Lord Jesus Christ, loving in deed and truth. He gave up his life. He didn't just, I taught my sons this the other day, a little rhyme. Jesus didn't just say, I love you, written in the sky, but he came to this earth so that he might die. Right? Isn't that really cool and cheesy at the same time? You can borrow that. But that's how we know God's love. He didn't just say, I love you. He came and sent his son. And he proved it. He proved it by his sacrifice. So if God doesn't love us that way, that very way, none of us are alive this very moment. We're not. God had to love us that deep, profound, sacrificial, humble love. Next. We cannot claim to remember, or excuse me, to be confused on what love is unless we simply close our eyes, ears, and mind to the truth. Love is costly and sacrificial. It replaces the object from me to others. That's what God did. God put his people in front of his own desires so that we would live. See, the world has it backwards. The world, it's just a feeling. It's just something that can come and go at any time. But to God, love is action. It's action. It's purpose. It's intention. It's doing something that would help and bless others. So the, question, the first question I have for you is, do you truly know love? Do you know it? By experience, do you know God's love that he has for you? And has it changed your life? Because it's changed mine. God's love has changed my life. Has it changed yours? And if that has changed your life, here's the question John is going to bring up for us. Are you walking in that same kind of love? Not the world's type of love. We feel things all the time. 
Yes, I do love ice cream. I love wintertime and things like that. I love Christmas. But do I love like God loves me? And that's kind of what John is going to pull out. John is also very careful to give all the credit for love to God and not man. And this is important. He's going to say to us that the way we know love is not because we love God. That's not how you and I know love. The way we know love is because God loved us. God invented love. God revealed love. God made love manifest to this world because he sent his son into the world. So true love originated with God. God invented love. So if you know love, if you even know the deep love that we're talking about this very morning, it's because you know God, at least somewhat, because God invented that love. It originated with God. And his love for us is the foundation of everything good in our lives. Everything. Love is so godly. It's the first and most consistent thing we hear along the Christian path, isn't it? Love, love, love. It's all throughout Scripture. It's not just First John. Take a look at Scripture sometime and you can't help but see love all throughout it. And if you and I can practice love ourselves, it's because we know God and we've been born of Christ. And that is a proof John wants us to have, that if you can love the way that God loves you, you have to be of the divine because you learned it from God and you could practice it because of God's life within you. Because man is incapable of walking in true love without God's wisdom, power, and spiritual life. Therefore, it's undeniable proof. It's undeniable proof that if we walk in love, we must be God's children. It cannot happen without God. So if you love and I love the way that John is describing here, guess what? You're of God, and you should find that confidence today. And if we are of God today, we must love because God is love. Just as I started the sermon, as soon as we find out what God is like, we're called to be like God. Because it is God's will that we love and function as he does. Because that's why he created people. To be similar to him, to do things that please him and, and line up with his will and his desires. And again, just like communion teaches us, remember Jesus. Jesus is the one that makes sense of everything. If you need to understand love, look to Jesus. He loved you when you were very, very unlovely, and myself included. So what definition of love do we, you and I practice? Do we practice the world's, which is come and go based on how I feel, based on how you treat me? It's a roller coaster. It's there one day and not there the other day because I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like loving you today. Or is it God's definition of love, which looks at the needs of those in front of you and says, I will do what I can to meet those needs because God met my enormous need when I had it. But before circling back to our need to practice love, John wants to solidify in our minds that God gets every ounce of credit for our spiritual life and the opportunity we have to walk in love. So in order to do that, number three, we're going to look at John's four proofs that he gives us to authenticate that we actually are Christians. And these things aren't really new. We've kind of been talking about these through the course of 1 John, but we need to listen to them all, all in a row here. And they all come from the text. Number one, the first proof of our authenticity as a Christian is God's spirit within us. Notice verse 13. By this we know that He abide, we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. God residing in us. God's power, God's wisdom, God's knowledge residing in us. That is the first proof of our authenticity. The second one is found in verse 14, and this is that we testify that God sent Jesus to the earth to save the world. Notice what it says. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Do you? Do you testify that Jesus came into this world to save us? Okay. That's validation number two. Number three is very similar. We confess that Jesus is the Son of God. So he's not just a good teacher, just some cool guy. He's the Son of God. Look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Isn't that very simple? Do you confess that Jesus is the Son of God today? The Son of God in the flesh? Then you're of God. God has made that very clear to you. And then the last one is verse 16. The fact that we abide in love and abide in God. He says in verse 16, 
so that we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So we're going to look at this. Again, love is really important for you and I. Practicing love is really important for you and I because it's proof of who we are and what we claim to be. And without that proof, we can't know that we all belong to God. But these four things there on the screen, they're presents. They're gifts from God to us. I didn't gain those things myself. I didn't invent those things. I didn't even ask for those things. God bestowed them upon me because of his great love for us. You could call them the first Christmas presents ever. Presents from God, gifts of validation of, what, of our faith in Christ. Every single proof of our authenticity of being a true child of God is a gift from God. So these things right here, God gave to each one of you if you know Christ. Gifts of grace. Gifts of God's love. The original Christmas presents, you would call them. Even our fairy salvation is void of anything we could do or have done. And I want to show you an illustration of how that is. I think one of the best illustrations for saving faith is when Jesus actually saves someone's physical life from the dead. I want you to take your Bibles, if you have them, and join me in John chapter 11. We're going to look at how Jesus gets all the credit for raising the dead, both physically and spiritually. This is one of the coolest passages in the entire Bible. John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44. John had a, excuse me, Jesus had a friend. His name was Lazarus. We're going to read the account of Lazarus' death. Verse 1 of chapter 11 of, of John, not 1 John, the regular Gospel of John. He says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. This is very strange. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. You're going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. That's a big detail. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him on the road, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Verse 28, when, he, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary had come to the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. 
Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could he not who have opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? It's too late. Verse 38, Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. The sister, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to Jesus, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said to these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face unwrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. He's not dead any longer. Do you notice something here? The man had been flatlined for four days. So much so that the sisters are concerned with moving the tombstone because there's going to be a smell. He's dead, Jesus. It's too late. If you had been here, you could have done something. But now it's too late. What can be done? <clears throat> Lazarus was made alive, or you could say saved by death entirely by Jesus Christ. Do you notice that? What role did Lazarus have in raising himself from the dead? None. Zero. Zilch. He did nothing. He didn't even ask for it. He didn't even request it. Lazarus did absolutely nothing to receive his life. It was imparted to him by God's grace. And without it, Lazarus is dead that very day and remains dead. But Jesus breathed his life into Lazarus, and Lazarus began to breathe again. All glory to God. I hope you're noticing the parallel here. But after given life, Lazarus was given a choice. To come out of the tomb, because he's alive, or to continue to live as if he was still dead and remain in the tomb with his mummy clothes on. And we're going to circle back to this, but Lazarus did not give his consent to being born, excuse me, to being risen from the dead, did he? God decided, similar to us being born in the flesh, right? We don't decide. I didn't decide my parents to have me. It just happened. God decided that I should live, and that's exactly what he did for Lazarus. And I want us to understand something today. We owe everything to God, everything. Your spiritual life, my spiritual life, we can take zero credit for being saved. Zero, zilch, nothing. Because if we do, the word saved makes entirely no sense whatsoever, does it? Because we were drowning in our sins. And Christ pulled us to shore by himself. Therefore, he is due 100% of the credit. 100%. Jesus Christ gets all credit for our spiritual life. And John wants to make that clear. It's him. It's because love came down. That's why we're alive. That's who deserves the honor and the glory. Can we look at one more example? This might put us a little over time today, but I think it's worth it. Can we go all the way back to Ezekiel 37? This one's shorter. But again, I want you to notice something. This is so powerful. Ezekiel 37. This is called the Valley of the Dead Dry Bones. And God here is speaking to a prophet called Ezekiel. And I want you to notice something. We're going to read just the first 14 verses of this. And I want you to notice this. Verse, uh, chapter 37 of Ezekiel, starting in verse 1, he said, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out to the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord, you know. I think that's a funny response. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, 
And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied that he has commanded me. And the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Verse 11, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that an awesome parallel for what Jesus Christ does to our soul? What can be done? Sin has killed us. We are dead. We are dead, dry bones. And Jesus says, come out from your sin. You're not dead any longer. All glory to God, right? Love came down. Love called us out of the tomb. And we're alive today because he decided so. And even doesn't even Christmas teach us this? Jesus did everything for us. Love came down because we were dead and we were going to stay dead eternally unless the Savior came. Think about the word Savior. Lifeguard. Someone that does something for you because you will die otherwise. Jesus is the best gift you and I could ever receive. However, Jesus purposely left work for us to do. And I think this is the the parallel to saying to Lazarus, come out of the tomb, Lazarus. Jesus leaves work for you and I to do things like obedience that we're finding here in 1 John. Holy living, thanksgiving and praise to God, fighting sin, spreading the message in the name of Jesus Christ, and the most profound one, the one that puts the bow on all the presents, walking in love. Jesus left that for us to do. Now that you're alive, now that you're healed, now that you're walking, now that you have my spirit, do what I have done for you. Do what I've called you to do. And those actions that he calls us to do are what authenticate the fact that we're alive. What authenticated the fact that Lazarus was alive? The fact that he came out. The fact that he rose to his feet and came out and was breathing. So these things right here, what God gives us to do, our, our proofs, or our validations, our authentications that we are alive today. And you and I must have a completed and sanctified faith when we meet God. Regardless of how short our race is or long our race is on this earth, we have to finish that race. But I think this is so great about God. We don't just get love from God. We get to love, too. Do you notice that? God allows us to receive a gift and to give gifts. Can I illustrate this for you a little bit? Um, around Christmas time, it's always a little awkward for my wife because we have the same bank account. And I am the one who usually controls the money and things like that, and yet Janine wants to buy me presents. I don't give my wife an allowance or anything like that. It's just our money. But it's very awkward for Janine because she wants to buy me a present, but she knows I'm either going to see it or I'm going to feel very weird and bad about her buying me presents. But I've noticed something over the years, that if I don't allow Janine to buy me presents, I'm hurting her. Because some, some years I'll say to Janine, Janine, I don't need anything. Let's just use the money and you know, buy presents for the kids and for others. And I've noticed that Janine needs the opportunity to love her husband through gift giving. God allows us to give presents and gifts to others. <coughs> Our family in Christ, God himself. Not only do we receive love, I can give God a gift. And so can you. Even that is grace. Even that is a present from God. You see, there's a difference between being saved and following Jesus. Jesus does every ounce of the saving work. And I need to stress that. Every 
ounce of it. He drags us to shore. He puts his breath within us. He causes us to breathe and live, and then we have no choice in the matter but to live. And then he says to us, follow me. And that's a parallel to saying to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. You're not dead any longer. You have life. You now have a choice and a will. Follow me. So we could be like Lazarus could have done. We could have stayed in the tomb and lived like we're practically still dead. And I think for a long time I did that. I lived like I was practically still dead. Or we can listen to Jesus and come out from the tomb and start living the way he has called us to live. Start following the life giver unto eternal life. God grants us a role in our maturation process. But you and I cannot steal any credit from God, can we? There's not going to be any patting ourselves on the back in heaven. We will know why we're there. We'll know where we got that life. We'll know even where we got the gift to walk in obedience and walk in love. It all came from God. And even on the path of following Jesus, don't you and I depend greatly upon God? Don't we? Don't we depend upon his daily strength and wisdom, his Holy Spirit, his Holy Scriptures, his church, his steadfast love? I know I do. So there won't be any stealing of the credit on the day that we meet God. But Scripture, time and time again, states this. Christ will give honor to his people on the other side. And that's hard for me to make sense, and I know it is. But just as God is love, he loves to share with his family. And although we cannot steal his credit on the last day, Christ is going to share it with us once again. Here is glory. Here is honor. Share my inheritance that I richly deserve. It's now yours. My kingdom is your kingdom. It's all yours. Because we steal it? Absolutely not. There's not a chance of that. Because Christ gives it. He can't not love. Do you see that? He can't not love. Even when everything is so richly deserved of him, he still, on the other side, will bestow it to us. So what's the point of all this today? What is the point? I think the point is very simple. Confidence. Confidence. We need divine confidence to live boldly and selflessly here on the earth. See, if we think that God's love for us is hanging in the balance or that our eternal glory depends entirely upon us, we're not going to live boldly. We're not going to obey courageously. We're not going to glorify God amidst painful trials. But if we understand that God saved us, he bestowed all his blessings and love upon us, and he's here to help us with everything we need, we will gain confidence. We will live selflessly. We don't have to gain anything else. I have everything from God, including a kingdom waiting for me, because God will grant it and share it. And we've already won. And John wants us to have confidence. So is loving the Lord and loving others optional? Is it optional? No, it's not optional. Not loving is still not obeying, which is the lack of proof that you and I belong to God and proof that we're still practically dead. If we don't love, we're like Lazarus remaining in the tomb with his mummy clothes on. Lazarus, come out, walk in love. So we must love and we can love. And we cannot be stopped in loving if we simply believe in the life giver. Isn't that awesome? We don't have too much time here. I'm going to move quickly through these last couple points. But John brings up fear in this passage. Fear. And the question I had was, how does fear fit into this message? How does fear fit into this message? Look at verses 7 and 18, if I can get back here to 1 John. 1 John 4, 7-18, he says, By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So should we be fearing God? Yes, we should. And ideally, no, we shouldn't. And I know that sounds a little confusing. Fearing God is like not going near the edge of the cliff. Or if you've ever been there, being dumb enough to sit on the edge of the railings next to Niagara Falls, right? You guys ever been there? You can get very close to Niagara Falls, can't you? Don't sit on those railings. You could go over. Niagara Falls is powerful and mighty. It will kill you. That's kind of what the fear of God is. 
Don't trifle with such power. Don't trifle. Don't go near the edge. Don't flirt with the railings. Live in life. So we should fear God because of who God is. He's a consuming fire, the scriptures say. And those who trifle with God are going to die. They are. He is not to be trifled with because he's holy and he's almighty. But we should never have the fear of God that makes us walk in eggshells. The fear that God is going to abandon us or forsake us or harshly lash out at us. The fear that causes us to stay clear of God. That is a bad fear. That it fears from the devil himself. Because if God wanted us dead, we're already dead. Aren't we? We're still dead. If he doesn't send Christ, none of us have life today. So if God wanted us dead, it's already happened. So the bad fear can actually destroy our confidence. And yet John says, perfect love casts out fear. What does this mean? What could it possibly mean? Good fear is about giving confidence. By helping us gain the proof, the validation, the authentication that we're ready for the other side. And God wants us to have that proof. Therefore, we need to understand who God is. We need to not trifle with him. We need to walk in love and obedience. Because God is trying to get us ready for the last day. I have a slide here on the healthy fears of God versus the unhealthy fears of God. I'm going to save that. I may put that back online or do a little podcast about it later. But I want to summarize it by saying this. I don't know if we're ever going to understand or have the perfect love that casts out this fear until we're absolutely finished with our race. Because in some aspect, we need the fear of God right now to do what he's called us to do. If we don't fear God, we may trifle with God, and therefore we may not finish the race. But as soon as we walk in God's commandments and do what pleases God, the fear lessens and the love increases. And on the last day, that will culminate when we stand before God and the fear is gone forever. And all there is is perfect love. That is our God. Even his fear is a gift to you if you understand it properly. Lastly, love is such a sweet gift. We're going to bump ahead here. Love is a sweet gift for God, for us, for others. The best gifts have something for everybody. It's kind of like when I got my license when I was 16. I was so excited to get a car and get a license, have the opportunity to drive. Not, I, did not, I was not aware when I got my license how much it was going to be a present for my parents and for my brother. Because now I was errand boy. Now I could go to Weiss Markets and get groceries. And I could take my brother to things like school and his little things he wanted to do. So when I got my license, it was a gift for everybody. Love is a gift for everybody. It blesses us. It blesses God. It blesses other people. It's the best gift. And John wants us to have confidence that we can have God's love. It's free, free of charge. Look to Christ. Come to Christ. But that's not the end of the story. You too can walk in love. You too can practice love. And when we practice love, when we walk in love, it brings God a great amount of glory. The last thing he says to us is, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love his brother whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's logical, right? It just makes sense. You love God, you got to love your brother. It's harder to love the intangible than it is the person right in front of you. If you can't love the person right in front of you, you're not going to love the unseen God. But if you love the person right in front of you, you can also love God. In fact, that's how you love God. But if you say, I love God, and you hate your brother, it's not a working equation. It doesn't work. All of these signs point to one fact. It's important to walk in love. Love came down to save us, to heal us, to give us eternal hope, joy, and peace. And now you and I must simply practice the same kind of love and follow suit. We have to. How can you and I withhold love and still have confidence that we're of God when it's so important to God? It's so foundational to who God is. I don't have the time. I can't love. It's too costly. But thank you for your love, God. It doesn't work. Too costly? Think about those words and remember Jesus. Let's bump ahead to the uh, application. We don't have time to look at everything today, unfortunately. 
I want to leave you with the application before we're done here. Based on everything we've learned today, ask yourself what holds you back from loving the way God desires. Because it does to me sometimes. And then once you find out what that is, ask yourself if that thing, that reason is valid enough to hold us back from confidence and eternal joy and glorifying God. It's not, of course. It's the answer. But find out what are those reasons that hold you back from loving and then ask yourself, is that good enough? Is that true enough? Is that reason valid enough to hold back love? Number two, if you're a true child of God and you're ready to meet God on the last day, are you also ready to go on the offense for love? Because I don't believe love will happen any other way unless we set it before us as a purpose every single day. I must love today. I must do what my God, my Father, my Lord Jesus Christ has done for me. And number three, what can you actually do today and this week that resembles the love God showed you through Jesus? Make a plan. Be purposeful. Be intentional. Set someone before you. Set someone's needs before you. Make a plan to go after that. Because Jesus is worthy to have the same love he showed us. Love is commanded. It's the best thing for us. It's the proof of our authenticity of a child of God. It's how we invest eternally. And it's the best way to please and honor the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the very last things I'm going to ask you, which is the last slide, are you ready to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because Christmas reminds us that love came down for our sake. Will love go back up for his sake? Simple. If you don't know the love of God through Jesus Christ today, find it before the day ends. Come and talk to me. Talk to Pastor Mel, or better yet, seek out God himself, and you can find it very easily. Because Jesus came down to love you. He's the best gift ever, and he's also worthy of our love and devotion. I hope you believe that. He's worthy for us to love him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you that we have been loved to love. Help us reflect on the great love that we have in you through the Lord Jesus Christ, and help us to make the logical conclusion that we must show that love to this world and to you, Father. Because we can, because you've allowed us to, because it will bless you and bless this world. Help us to see that's so important. Thank you for the message of Christmas, which reminds us of that, and help us to walk in love this very season for the confidence, for your glory, and for the sake of this world who needs it. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.